0: Uh, this morning is going to be potentially different. I'm not exactly sure because I haven't been to men's Bible study or men, yeah, in, in a while. And so, and I haven't taught it in a couple of years. So, I wanted this morning to be very discussion based. So, I'll use the mic as much as I need to, but the, the direction in the course that we had truly is going to depend on you guys. And so, I've got a bunch of different documents pulled up on my computer to try to help facilitate as we move along. But, this thing is really going to depend on y'all and the, and the direction that we head, but I think it'll be very applicable to our lives as we kind of look at who God is and what um, he does and then how that kind of bears down on our lives today. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask if this is anyone's first time to Men's Bible City. Yeah. Okay. And I know John Mark normally does news you can use. Um... I looked at the news this morning, there was not a, a ton that I saw, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the article about Starbucks and the police officers and, and all that stuff. I'm sure that got some blood, bo- blood boiling on some people. Um, is there any particular topic that you guys saw that you want to discuss quickly before we jump into this? World Cup. The World Cup, the Women's World Cup winners? Uh, somebody asked me about that yesterday, they're like, why don't women... Or even soccer players in America make more money. And I just said, because nobody cares about soccer in America. So (laughs) and then he's like, OK, well, I guess you don't want to talk about this. And I said, "Nope." (laughs) But hey, good on them for bringing home the cup. That's awesome. All right, well, we'll jump right in. Um, Yes.
1: Okay, uh, Otto's
0: so, uh, Auto. getting volunteered, so, Otto, you're, you're awesome, thanks man. <laughs> yes, we will dig into that for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right, so this first question that truly will lead us into the direction that we're going to head, and and I don't want to be the one who is talking the whole time. I, I really want you guys talking a lot on this. But the question that I'm about to ask you is extremely important to the way that we see God, to the way that we approach our life, um, and and to the way that we approach others. So the question is this: Why did God create mankind? So I don't want you just to to throw up your hand and answer it right away. Truly think about it. I'll give you 30 seconds to think through. It's not something that is a common question that I think we get asked a lot. But if you think about the importance of that question, why did God create us? That's going to play into everything that we do in this life. So just think about that for a minute. When you're ready to throw out your answer, um, and there are wrong answers in this, and that's okay, because sometimes we've got to say a wrong answer to get to the right answer. Um, whenever you're, you feel confident that you're ready to, and it's not that there's just one specific, even though I think that there, there is a very specific answer to this, it can branch off into other things. Okay? To be in a relationship with him. That's an answer I hear a lot. I don't disagree with it at all, but why would God want to be in a relationship with us? Okay. Okay, why?
2: To branch off a little bit, what always amazed me, why did God create us, create man, mm-hmm. when he knew what we were going to do yeah. and what it was going to cost? Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I agree. And if you didn't hear what he just said about God creating us knowing the sacrifice that he would have to give and the overflowing love that God has for us.
1: But but he didn't there wasn't a
0: problem creating man creating woman. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, if you can hear this, delete that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Right. The
3: uh, okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Would
0: that be the wrong answer? Sure. Okay. Let's keep digging. So we have fellowship. We have relationship. We have that He loves, so He creates. What else? Okay. That's heading down, I think, a closer path. A testimony to what? Goodness, truth. So, the, the reason why this is so important for us to understand about God and who He is, the, the thing that you've got to be careful with in saying that God created man to be in relationship with Him, I don't disagree with that statement. I don't disagree with it, but you've got to be careful if that is the sole reason that God created man because then it makes God to look like he is in need of something. Okay? God did not need, he did not need a relationship with us. We need him, but he did not need, if God needed a relationship with us, he's not God. No, I know, I know. I'm just digging into that. I agree that God created us In in part of his creation, there was a goal to have a relationship with us, right? I'm not saying that's not correct. I'm just saying at the core of why God created, I don't think that's the core answer. Love? I think that's a part of it. Yes? Somehow at the core of his being, God is relational. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. So when God creates man, in Genesis, he he puts a title on man and a responsibility on man that he puts on nothing else. What is that? Dominion Dominion over the earth. What did you say? In his image. Right. So let's think about God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before creation. What's happening there?
1: Like, I mean, the one thing that you're trying to get at is kind of like God. To me, it's kind of like He created us because it's like you had to save my eternal soul or something like that.
2: Okay.
0: And I don't disagree with what you're saying. God's sovereign, right? He knew what was going to happen in his creation. But in the Trinity there was a relationship, right? And and we you guys are you guys are all over it. I'm not n- none of the answers that you've said. I'm like, "Nope, that's wrong. You guys are all over it." But in the Trinity was anything lacking? No. Okay, so what did the Trinity have? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were complete. Absolutely perfect union. Perfect relationship. Perfect glorification. The Father glorifying the Son. The Son glorifying the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifying both. There's just this beautiful union within the Trinity. God was lacking nothing. He needed nothing nothing but there is perfect glory in a perfect relationship and so God creates out of the overflow of joy pleasure satisfaction fulfillment that he has in himself and if God creates for any other reason then he's not God because if God creates because he's lonely and wants a relationship with man He's not God. He's not sovereignly complete in himself. And so I believe that God created for us to be image bearers of him for his glory. I agree with you, but we're not talking about us yet. We're just talking about God and God creating us. So God creates, the the way that I've explained this in the past is, Think of of the most amazing day that you could ever create. And for each and every one of us, that's going to be a very different day. For some of you, you're going to want to go hunting. For some of you, you're going to go fishing. For some of you, it's, you know, sitting in a movie theater watching your favorite sports team play and having food and drinks and, you know, and just the most amazing day where you feel just complete in that, complete joy, complete pleasure, complete even purpose And then think through doing that, but inviting other people into it. That's what God did. In his relationship with himself in the Trinity, God was complete. He had everything he needed. And he said, this is so good being in relationship like this, glorifying myself, that I want to invite and create others into this relationship for my glory. And so he creates. And in his creation, he tells man that you are an image bearer. You are to bear the image of my glory in a relationship with God. And so then, if that is, and you guys can can correct me if you think I'm wrong at this point. But if, if that's true about who God is and why he created, then what is the purpose of man? To glorify God, how? Worship. Worship. To know Him. To glorify God in a relationship with God. And so Adam and Eve had that, right? They had that perfectly in the garden. There was no sin. There was no separation. They were in perfect relationship with God. Nothing separated them from God. And they were able to be a image bearer and a reflection of God in the relationship that they have with God so then kind of taking it from a 10,000 foot view of this is who God is this is why he created this is the purpose of man how then does that affect your life today or maybe an easier way to say this is what does that affect in your life today Exactly. It affects everything. And so then if we're honest with ourselves, we've got to examine what areas of my life am I not fulfilling the very purpose I was created for? What's what's a very common verse that we use that talks about the glory of God? It lists three things that we're supposed to do. Super short verse. Anybody know not Okay, that's the relationship aspect. It ends all things for the glory of God, whether you, you guys know this, come on, whether you eat, drink, or be merry, yeah, or whatever, so he, he, whatever, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right, And so this bears down into the most minimal thing in our life, and this also affects the greatest things in our life. So if that is, if that is what we're called to do, and that is the purpose that we have been created to do, how do we do it? How, is, how are we capable of doing it? Because we live in a fallen, broken world, and we are a fallen, broken people. So now, in order to discover how we do it, let's talk about the characteristics of God. So just start throwing some of them out there. Omnipresent. Omnipresent. God's everywhere. What else? Okay, all-powerful. He's loving. Forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah, why? Okay, that's a great one. He's a jealous God. Why is that okay? He wants to be number one in our lives. Okay? He wants to be number one in our lives. So how does the jealousy of God work out for our good?
2: Many that us from
0: Mm-hmm. Okay? So again, drilling into his characteristics, how does he keep us from straying? He's everywhere, he knows everything,
2: he's all powerful. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: through the word?
0: Yeah. So if God is jealous, what is he jealous for? He's jealous for, it, for us, right, all, for everything that we are. But, again, pointing back to our existence, what is he jealous for? The thing that he wants from all of us. But it's deeper than that. That's how we do it. But what is he wanting? Glorify him. Serve him. Now, we do that through a relationship, right? That's how we do it. But what he wants is his glory that's what he is jealous for so then again how does that play out for our good or does it yeah us to surrender nature that we
2: have mhm okay Sure. Yeah,
3: I know cool is kind of a bad, bad word. Now. Oh, it's not a bad word. But
0: I mean, we have responsibility, right? We have to make a choice. So, again, get, yeah. I am sure. trying to find so we should we should have children so that they can glorify us? Not you. <laughs> okay. Not glorify you. Okay. So we
4: should have you know part of the purpose of having children is to create more people
0: to glorify God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Be fruitful, multiply for the glory of God. But again, how God being jealous for his glory, how is that good for us? Okay. But again, drill into your own life of we were created for God's glory. It does give us purpose, right? I agree. God being jealous for his glory. How is that good for us? Because we know he's sovereign, we know he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, which means he will and can enact his will. Right? And he can enact his will in our lives. But how is that good for us? Well, for me personally, I'm always a lot happier when I turn my back and in my sinful ways. Exactly. So, as I grow closer to God and attempt to be more Christ-like in my life, I'm always happier. Exactly. God's glory in our life is bringing us back to the purpose we were created for which in turn brings us joy, purpose, fulfillment, all of those things. When we do what God created us to do, that is truly when we'll be happiest or most joyful. And the thing that's amazing about that is that's attainable regardless of circumstance. Right. This is, this is what made the disciples, in a sense, untouchable. When you look at Paul and what what the the government and and just the the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to do to Paul, he was impossible to mess with, right? Because if everything was going good, what did Paul say? Glory to God. If Paul was being beaten, what did he say? Glory to God, right? It didn't matter what they did to Paul. Paul was able to fulfill the purpose that God had created him for and so he didn't care and that's what Philippians that the verse that 413 the verse that gets misused all the time I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me he's talking about I can fulfill the purpose that God has created me for in anything I can do all things for God right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter about the situation beat me send me to Patmos you know you can put me in prison it doesn't matter I will glorify God regardless and so Now, what I want to drill into is getting into, and I don't want to get into things that are salvific necessarily in nature. I mean, we can go there a little bit, but I don't think we'll get anywhere, honestly. Uh, But just in the day-to-day of if we have been designed for and created for the glory of God, that's the reason we're here. We best do that through a relationship with God, yet we are sinful people. So then how, where, where does God collide with us in that? And then where are we responsible in that? And to do that, let's just talk about the, the place that we find ourselves as human beings in our sinful nature. So before salvation, where do we find ourselves? And again, I'm not trying to get into Calvinism, Arminianism. I'm truly not. This will head in a different direction in just a second. Lost, slave to sin. There's a specific word I'm looking for. Dead. dead. Yeah, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so there's, a, there's an aspect of in our sinfulness, are we capable of doing the thing we were created to do? No. Right, that's the point of the gospel. We, we can't. We're dead in our sins. We are not alive to the, the things of God. We're not alive to spiritual things. We are dead. And, and then, you know, we can... I'll read this passage of Scripture. In our deadness, you have, you have Jesus talking about the vine and the branch and, and all of this. And he, In John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he goes to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? God, doesn't God use people? No. Absolutely. Right, we see that with, with Joseph very clearly. That all, all the things that, that Joseph's brothers did to him that were super evil, right? Throwing him in a pit, selling him into slavery... And then just all the things that happened in Joseph's life, regardless of how faithful he was, God used all of those things in the end for his glory and his purpose. So it's not that we, we have to be hopeless about the situation that we're in, but if we, can, we, if we can do no good apart from God, then does God, is God involved in everything good that we do? Yeah? Does God make you do good? Okay. Okay. Okay.
2: It's not so much that he forces you to, but he allows you to see what you should do. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Anybody else? I'm not disagreeing. I, I agree. And I'm not necessarily looking for a specific answer. I just want to hear what you guys think.
3: Okay?
0: So is every act of sin and wrongdoing an act of rebellion against God okay and if we can do no good apart from God I, I don't think we're puppets right I don't think that that God is a puppet master in heaven making us do yeah Okay. So, yes.
4: I'm trying to wrap my hand around this. Um, we can no, do no good without God. So are you saying that uh, sinners, non-believers don't do anything good? Or are you saying it, because they can't? Because, you know, it's got to come through God. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. That. no, that's a, that's a great question. So, apart from God, non believers, let's put that category in place because I think that's very important. People who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can they glorify God?
4: Okay, just it from doing good to glorify
0: God. Right, so, because I think there's a difference. I, I
4: do too. Like you, earlier you said, apart from God, we can do no good. So, yeah.
0: And so I think what we call a good action and what God calls action for his glory could potentially be two different things. When, when, we, when we're, we're saying, oh, that's a good thing, right? Somebody helps, a non-believer helps an old lady across the road. We would say, oh, that's a good thing. They did a good thing. But did that act glorify God? Okay, so why? Why? There's a passage in Isaiah that talks to this.
4: Because, because the motivation and the purpose was not the same.
0: Exactly. Who were they glorifying in that act? Themselves. Right, because they, cannot, they, they are not glorifying God with their actions. They are apart from God. God is not motivating their actions. They, the, only, the only glory they're going to bring to God is when God pours his wrath out on them. About what? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. But their purpose in doing good is very different from ours. Why, Why are in the Hindu faith or the Muslim faith, why are they doing good to get to heaven, right? And so it's still about them. It's still about them. It's still about them getting to a place for their glory, right? They want, they want to, to make it to the highest degree of heaven that they can. They want all the virgins they can get, right? It's about them. It ha- it, it's not about God's glory. It's about their glory, what they can attain, what they can achieve. And so when it comes to us doing, or, or sorry, non-believers doing good, How does God view that? Exactly. That's the verse I'm looking up right now. As filthy rags. Right? All of my righteous deeds are as filthy rags. Because we have no righteousness. In, In our sinfulness, we are totally dead to the things of God. Right? And so that means that if we are apart from Christ, the things that we're doing are for our own glory, for our own gain, and not God's. Then God provides salvation, someone accepts that salvation, and now they can be an image bearer of God. But we cannot do good apart from God. And so here's, let me give you a case study, just, just to help us think through details here. Again, thinking about the characteristic of who God is. God is the creator. He is all-sovereign. He is all-powerful. I'm going to say this. I believe this. You may not agree with me 100%. And I believe that God can enact his will at any moment and any time. Anyone disagree with that? Okay. So here's the case study. Let's say, I don't even know where I'm going to eat for lunch today. But let's say I go to Chipotle and one of the people that's making burritos had a dream last night that a short stocky dude was gonna walk into Chipotle wearing a Nike polo that's white and has stripes on it and that that guy was supposed to tell them something that would change their life forever that was the dream that they had okay Just so happens, I'm a short, stocky dude, and I have a white Nike polo on. Did God make me wear this polo so that that conversation can happen?
4: I I think he knew you were
0: going to wear it. So now we're talking about foreknowledge. Okay? So instead of God making me wear the shirt, he knew the shirt I was going to wear, gave the dream to the person to enact his will. Anybody disagree with that?
4: So the opposite could certainly be true.
0: Okay. Could it? Could God have made me pick this shirt? Okay. If he can't, not God. Yeah, if he can't, he's not God. So, again, now getting back to the question I kind of asked earlier, but not this directly. Is God actively involved in every good act I do? No. Okay, right. I mean, there we can land on both sides of the fence on this one. So some of you said yes, explain why you think that. And some of you said no, explain why you think that. Okay. Okay, you can still
1: you can and you can say, I ain't gonna
0: Right, sure. Yeah, Okay,
4: I think i things Yeah. Yep. I think it all depends on the definition of the word actively. Okay. Because uh, I don't, if, if you say actively, that could mean that he controls every movement, every decision. Mm-hmm. This is sometimes passively, I'm going to allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there are cases, uh, examples in the Bible where God specifically makes people do things. But that
0: doesn't mean he makes everybody do everything all the time. Okay, so let's... What are, what are some examples of God making someone do something? So, Pharaoh's heart, hardening Pharaoh's heart. Okay. Jonah, there you go. What about Paul? Saul? I mean, his conversion... It's, it's tough for me to say Paul had much of a choice in that, right? I mean, God shows up, basically says, you're going to do what I say, blinds him, and then in a moment, he changes.
4: But, but even, even in that case, if he had a choice, there was a, specific yeah. sele- there was a specific selection. Seeking to kill people who love Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I mean, he wants, he wants all of us that are Christians to glorify him. He wants all of us as Christians to spread the gospel. But I think in certain cases, certainly in the Bible, he says, I'm going to choose Moses to do this thing. Yeah. I'm going to choose Job to do this thing. As opposed to anybody, 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 anybody.
0: Right, okay, so I love the two people that you just said because they, they help us look into can man resist the will of God? Right, so God chooses Moses. What's Moses' initial reaction? I'm the wrong guy. I can't speak, right? Get somebody else. Jonah, for sure. I mean, does he want to do at all what God wants him to do? No. Right? Yeah, he... Yeah, he... Jonah never really wants to do what God wanted him to do. But God got it done. Yeah. Yeah. Noah was a little bit more obedient.
3: Yeah. And then thought comes out and it was plant that seed was planted there by God. You yeah, know, like uh covertly, because you know, like you said, he's in everything, he sees everything, and, and we have free will to, to choose right, wrong, or indifferent. But there's ties as a believer and something did puts some a spark in there that causes you to the Holy Spirit to do something that he wanted you to do further.
0: Yeah. So with that prompting of the Holy Spirit, because I believe that's absolutely what that is.
3: He also manipulates things that happen to you, or later on, for to be a
0: Yeah. So with that, that conviction, that prompting that the Holy Spirit gives us, can we resist that?
4: I mean, if we couldn't resist, then anybody would be a Christian. Because everybody, theoretically, we can argue this, but a certain, certainly a vast majority of people come to that fork in the road where somebody talks to them about salvation, or they see it, or they hear it.
0: Yeah, in creation they and see it. it and, and they choose not to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. So Acts 7.51 says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. But I think that, again, okay, so can can we resist the Holy Spirit to the point that God cannot accomplish his will? Cannot. 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 No. Okay, so what will God do? He'll use someone else. He'll give it. Oh, yeah. If you're sovereignly in control, you can make life pretty miserable for someone until they finally turn to you. Right. I mean, that, we see God do that. I, we, we pray. I pray for people all the time. I'm praying for a few guys right now that I'm, I'm asking God to move in their life in such a way that they would turn back to the Lord. And some of that, you know, what you, you think of God's hand in the prodigal son. How did God, if if we look at that story, how does God use his power and his purpose in the prodigal son's life? Yeah. He gave him everything, quote unquote, he wanted so that he could then see that it was actually nothing that he wanted and the thing he truly wanted was a relationship with the father. So he turns back. Yeah? All right, so let's talk about that. Could God have caused cancer? Okay, does God? <laughs> you doubt it or does he? Okay. So where where is think of a story, very very well-known story in the Bible? of where God removes his hand of protection, Job. So is God doing any of that to Job? But yeah, he allows Satan, so he allows the effects of a fallen, broken world to take place in Job's life. Why? Why would God do that? Job was faithful. He, He served the Lord. Why would God do that?
1: Sure. to mm-hmm. go about his soul with all of the stuff.
0: Yep. So, yep.
4: I think he does it so
0: that he can reach other people. Okay. Okay. Yep. If you think about it, that, might have been more about
3: children. Like, hey, here's a guy that professes one thing and we'll see the depth of that just like mm-hmm.
0: So what does James say when we meet trials like this? Consider it pure joy. Because it does that, right? It proves. It's a testing ground. Right. So, again, I I agree with what everyone's saying, but why does God allow those things to happen? Because that's a question people ask all the time. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Sure. I think, that's a, I think that's a byproduct of it, for sure. But again, I'm thinking, think 10,000 feet in the air. Big, big, big picture. Not just you, big picture.
2: We can't choose to love God and glorify Him unless we're free to not
0: love and glorify Him. Okay. So God allows bad things to happen. God, as a good God, allows bad things to happen for His glory. Because in the end, that's what it leads to. And so this, this is what I'm trying to lead to. All roads point back to the glory of God. They do. That's why we were created. To glorify him through a relationship with him. That's the only way we can glorify him. Because apart from him, everything good that we do is seen as filthy rags. Because it's for us. It's about us. Whatever just happened to that person was for the glory of God. <laughs> That's right. Um,
3: yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. yeah
3: Sure, of course.
0: Yeah absolutely so the again, the the big reason why I wanted us to go through this and, and consider the purpose of why God created it is because it truly does affect everything and and as you're faced with, I know for sure me. And Justin and John Mark, all of our staff. The, the question comes up a lot: of why does a good, loving God allow bad things to happen in this world? So, another case study that's really hard to answer sometimes is, I've, and I've had—I I was talking to a gentleman that is, I think, at this point an agnostic. He—he um, he said at the beginning that he was an atheist, and then as we started working through it. He really more identified as he believes in a higher power, um, and and literally the reason why he said I can't be a Christian because there are millions and millions of babies that get murdered through abortion all the time. How does God, if He is good, allow that to happen? So how do we answer that? Okay. So it's a it's a product of being in a fallen broken world but if God is all-powerful could he not stop those abortions from happening he could. he could right and so now in a sense we're putting God on trial for why in the world would he allow that to happen he didn't create robots. I agree I agree Okay, so let's, let's look at it from a, a different angle, because I agree with what you guys are saying. We live in a fallen broken world. We're not robots. He's not going to make us do every little decision that we make. So how is God glorified in the abortion of millions of babies?
2: Mm-hmm. To prevent that from happening because of their belief in God, I
0: would say that's some motivation. Is there any redeemable thing? What about the women who start out getting abortion and then they change their mind before it happens? Well, yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing, but I'm, I'm talking about actual abortion happening. Is there anything redeemable in that?
2: Well, the actual birth of a child is a miracle in all of a
0: Okay. Conception in itself is a miracle. So is that baby, we're getting kind of into a different path, but I think this is going to help us answer the question. Is that baby a a soul? Does it have a soul? And if so, at what point? At conception, at the moment of conception, okay? So if, if that baby has a soul and it's murdered, is there anything redeemable that happens? Baby goes to heaven. else goes to
4: heaven. Yeah. How? Yeah.
0: Right, through Christ. So there is a redeemable fact in this. So I, I, my wife has had two miscarriages. And there's a lot of peace that comes as a believer in Christ to know that, number one, those babies had souls have souls and then number two i believe that all babies do go to heaven and I, I, there's a number of reasons why i believe that the main thing that i point to is david when david loses his child he says i the baby cannot come to me but i will one day go to the child right and he's saying that child that child's soul is in heaven um, and then also where jesus says don't keep the children from coming to me because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, and so there's a, there's a redeemable thing in the fact that God is so loving, that he's so good, that he would save the soul of a, of, of a fetus and, and take that soul to heaven with him. And now that soul is living on in eternity with God in a perfect relationship with God. And so, yeah, it's a horrible, horrendous thing that we as human beings allow for babies to be aborted and murdered. But God redeems that in there are millions and millions and millions and millions of babies, souls, that are in heaven with the Lord that He just grabs. And they never had to taste the fallenness of this world, the brokenness of this world. Um, and so, why does God do that? Why would God redeem those souls? Why would He save those souls?
4: That's choice.
0: Okay. But why? Again, I'm, I'm leading right back to the same thing.
2: They're all precious in His sight.
0: They are. Absolutely. But why? Why would God do that? What's God trying to get out of that? The relationship. For what? His glory. His glory. Absolutely. Again, it all goes back to that. That God desires a relationship with His creation for His glory. Yeah.
4: Mm -hmm. If we say that God created man so that they could experience the joy uh, and the wonder that he's created, and as a result of that, there is uh, giving glory, giving love back to God, that in my mind plays a lot better than your job is to glorify me. I don't care if you have a good time. I don't care if you have joy. I don't care about anything because the sole purpose is to glorify me. Okay. I can't. I can't go that direction. Okay. I've got to go that. And you kind of said it earlier that that um, that it's an overflowing of His love. said there's no overflowing of His love. That He wants to share this love, this joy, this peace, this happiness with His creations. hmm And and those of His creation. That acknowledge that it comes from him turn around and go thank you God glory to you mm-hmm. so it's, it's a result of God's love that the glory comes rather than glorifying
0: me. see the thing where I think you got to be careful
4: okay.
0: is if God needs our love that's a problem I know, but that the reason why I start with His glory is, and Ron, you were raising your hand a lot. Did you want to? Right. He doesn't need glory. Again, we've got it. We got to go back to the core of why He created, in glorifying, in the relationship of the Trinity. God glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, the Father glorifying the Spirit. Um, I think it's C.S. Lewis calls it the beautiful dance. There's this union of glory that is taking place in the Trinity that gives need for nothing. And in, in God's glory of himself, there is complete purpose. There is complete joy. There is complete love. All of those things flow out of that. And so God is inviting us in to, to, to participate in the glorification of himself. The way we do that is through a relationship with God. So, And you can disagree with me, and that, that's, that's totally fine. But I, I think if you, if you type in the glory of God in a search, verses that talk about the glory of God, you are going to see a very jealous God for his glory no if he did he wouldn't be God and so again I I understand that this is a can be a frustrating topic to talk about um, but again God God's glory is the best thing that can ever happen to us it's the best thing and so when we think of jealousy and we think of of glorification of ourself, it always is very selfish and it's around our purpose for our joy. Whereas in glorifying God, we get ultimate purpose, ultimate joy, ultimate happiness. And so God is jealous for something that always plays out for the betterment of our life. Kind of hard to <clears throat> oh, sure.
1: Excuse me. Like, believers You were trying to explain this but look at you it, like you way out there. Yeah, and I <laughs>
0: I had a, a mentor in life that he mentored me. Super, super godly dude. We, we, he mentored me for years. and And him and I did not agree on this. He said that God created for relationship because he loves us. And I don't agree with that, but he said that was the primary reason. Where I said that God created for his glory as the primary reason. And then out of that, we do that best through relationship with him. And all of that's made possible because he loves, right? And so again, you can totally disagree with me. And I hope you guys know that I'm not trying to take away from the love that God has for us, for the relationship that he wants with us. The the thing that I'm just trying to make sure that you're careful on is don't paint a picture of God that he is in need. Because he is not in need. He has desires, right? He is desirous of us to be in relationship with him. He is not in need of us to be in relationship with him.
2: It's God wanting to share what He has. Absolutely. Of, not that He, as you say, needs us. Right. Hey, I've got this big package of love. Mm-hmm. I want to share with you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, and it's seven o'clock, so I know, I know we need to close shop soon, but just to put a little bit of ammo in your belt of response. So in regards to that, so here, here's a perfect example. And the news loves to do this, right? When, when tragedy strikes, they will, the media loves to say like, oh, where is God, right? And, and one of the, the things that we have to remind people of We'll just use airplanes as an example. Let's say an airplane crashes and hundreds of people die. Inevitably, someone's going to say, well, where was God? Right? Why didn't God sustain the flight of that plane? Why did he allow that to happen? Even though that's an a, a effect of living in a fallen, broken world, God could have stopped it. We're super quick to go, God, where were you when one out of thousands crashes? And yet we don't give God any glory for the thousands that he kept in the air. And so one of the things that I love to do when people point to a specific tragedy is then point them to, you have no idea how many flights God has sustained. And in his sustaining, you said nothing. You just want to point to him in the one time he allows the fallenness and the brokenness of this world to be felt. And so, man, just... Point them back to God's faithfulness, his goodness. And then at the end of the day, if you really want to get to a place of, of where you can worship God or help them to get to a place of being able to worship God, remind them of what they deserve. Right? We don't deserve any of this. The moment that we sinned against God, which is a much greater offense than we give it credit because if you think about the punishment for the crime, eternal separation in hell, burning for eternity as a punishment for one sin, right? That's a big deal. Sinning against God is a massive deal, and we deserve to be punished for it eternally because it's an eternal offense. Then when you look at what God has given us in salvation, it makes you so much more grateful for God's goodness, his love, his patience, his kindness. All of those things.